This is the Chip Marble Podcast. And today, we'll be focusing on how you can adopt a healthier and happier, just more functional lifestyle. On the phone right now to shed some light on the subject is yoga and meditation teacher, life coach, Jessica Magnan. Thank you for having uh, the time to chat today, Jess. Thank you for having me. It's it's my pleasure. You know, in being a yoga student of yours and following you on social media, it's clear you have a pretty advanced devotion to healthy living and just a total picture of wellness. I'm wondering what about that lifestyle has, what has it given you that you've decided to make it such a fundamental part of your existence? Um, for me, I definitely went through a period of time where, uh, I was a bit of a a party animal, a little bit reckless, a little bit self-destructive, or you might even say a lot. Um, During that time, I always sort of had this glimmer, this sense that uh, things would get better and sort of felt like being in that that place was teaching me something. And and I had um, always a desire to help people a feeling that that was sort of my purpose. And so I kind of just trusted that. And um, being someone who has struggled all my life with anxiety, and I think most of us can say that we do, but even um, just insecurities, just living in the world that we live in now, looking for alternative ways to um, sort of bolster myself up or feel like I can gather strength from from within. I've just sought out various teachers and teachings. It was about seven years ago that I found yoga. And even within the scope of the yoga practice, there's quite a transition that happens from the physical to the more spiritual, the more subtle or inward aspect. Did you start focusing on your physical health in a non-yoga context before you found yoga? Like, were you just into more of a generalized go-to-the-gym type of deal? Did you ever... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to be honest with you, it it probably started more out of kind of an egoic, uh, image-oriented sort of... Fix, not fixation, but but interest in that, you know, I wanted to look good, I wanted to be in shape, and there's, you know, from an early age that um, sort of pressure from outside, so I was a gym rat, and I was an athlete, and um, the reason that I started yoga was, was because they came out with this thing called hot yoga, and I thought, oh, well, I'm sure you get a good workout there, you're already in a hot room, you're already sweating, and so for a long time, it was... Uh, it was just about the workout. They would tell you, you know, you should breathe in this way and very focused on the breath. And I, I remember thinking to myself, well, I, I'm not going to do the breathing thing, but I'll do the workout. So I was totally uh, unaware of what, what was coming my way at a certain point at the beginning. Yeah, I think I sort of had a similar thing where I approached it as uh, exercise and then you do start to kind of take hold on the just the more profound aspect to what yoga has to offer. Yeah, and certainly um, something that I even come back to now in some of the the books that I read and, and some of the things that I'm interested in is that we can really reach a, a very meditative place or like a flow state through intense exercise. So it's sort of like, um, it's like uh, you're getting a glimpse of it without really knowing and you, you sort of get hooked uh, to this feeling of being you know, you sort of step out of your mind, out of mental process, and you you might not know that it's, um, you know, of this kind of spiritual 
place, but but you're going there. So yeah, I think uh, it it sort of weasels its way in slowly. Sure. Yeah. And you eventually decide to you know take the path of becoming a yoga instructor and really facilitating that experience. So what was that jump in you? Was it some kind of calling that that you felt? You know what? It was the strangest thing. I was finishing university and I I studied sociology. So I was kind of very interested in sort of human behavior and the human condition of this kind of social anxiety. And uh, I finished school and I I really had no plans. I had taken maybe two or three uh, hot yoga classes and I was waitressing at the time and I I had a good amount of money in my in my pocket and uh, I just I just saw an advertisement for a teacher training and I just threw the money down and and did it like it wasn't even it was not preconceived whatsoever but it was like one of these divine moments of like I have to do this and that was about seven years ago yeah and for people who you know it's a new year a lot of people have health resolutions I wonder what why do you think yoga might be a good alternative for them to explore if maybe you know up until this point couple weeks into the new year haven't really been finding the kind of success they've been looking for Mm, yeah um I think that, and I see this as a coach as well, that, you know, even with the best intentions, what can often happen is that there's a lot of sort of unconscious programming or automatic habits that, you know, we've been sort of rolling through for years now. And we, it's it's like when you go on a diet, you know, you're, you're really sticking to your guns for a while. And then all of a sudden you just fall off and, and it's worse than it ever was. And I think people are becoming more um, kind of awake to this, this programming that we have or this tendency that we have. And being that yoga is kind of a little, I, at this point, I wouldn't say it's out there, but it, it does suggest a bit of a different approach to things. It's sort of the, um, like, take your foot off the gas pedal. It's not always about conquering and about achieving, but rather about this almost gentleness to yourself. And that when we can take off the pressure and take away the judgment, that things actually flow a little more easily or feel like they come a little more easily to us. So sort of like a counter to all of the intensity and all of the uh, pressure that's outside. It's almost like a, I don't know that people consciously know it, but we can sort of repressurize the inside, the inner self as a way of meeting all the demands of, of the outer world. So it's just sort of a different approach. People are maybe getting, getting wise to the fact that this approach of always chasing and always pushing isn't so effective. Yeah, I guess it just seems like the pace of our society, we're almost coerced to sort of neglect the more gentle side and really just occupy that go, 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 full speed ahead kind of, you know, almost like the uh, capitalist professional mindset. So it's tough to find that marriage. But I have found in my personal experience, yoga is a really good tool and things like meditation just to find a balance and to, you know, kind of blow off the steam. Because without a doubt, the lives we live, there's a lot of pressure building up when you're really trying to, you know, go for broke and uh you know establish yourself in whatever career field you've kind of set your heart on mm-hmm. one of the um one of the analogies that i really like just to kind of distill all of this down is if you can imagine that we have one muscle for doing and it's all of this outward activity all of this busyness 
And then we have a muscle for non-doing, which which would be more of this subtle internal connection to self or spiritual self. It's like that muscle of doing in the outer world is overdeveloped and the non-doing, the spiritual muscle is mushy. It's, it's really underdeveloped. It maybe doesn't even, maybe you don't even know it's there. So, yeah, just sort of creating a way of tempering everything that we do externally with a more devoted inward um, approach, practice, care, that sort of thing. And I guess, you know, with a lot of stuff, when the uh, muscle, so to speak, is undeveloped, it's not very gratifying to really start building it up. You know, if anything, it's the opposite. The experience is frustrating and discouraging. So I'm wondering if you have any tips for what might be a good way to kind of start on that path or at least just find a way to weather the storm of that initial period where you're not going to be getting great feedback. Yeah, well, and I see a lot of the time first first time students coming into a yoga class and the initial impulse is to want to go as deep into the poses and as advanced as advanced as possible immediately and it's sort of this uh you bump up against your ego and and it's a very humbling practice and you'll sort of recognize oh wow this is hard in a completely different way and so uh, it, it may not be the most helpful advice, but what comes to mind is that if you think about something that is uncomfortable or feels so hard, it would be an empowering process to be able to just kind of stand or sit in the discomfort of that and not feel like we need to have all the control. So it's it's really an unlearning and people do... Um, People do feel very frustrated, but just to speak to what you said about maybe in, in the beginning it not being so gratifying, I think what, in terms of yoga at least, can get people in the door is the fact that it's still a, a quite a physical practice and, and can sort of, same, same as it did for me, feed this part of you that just wants to be challenged and wants to sweat. And it, it sort of, you kind of trick yourself in there and then there's just a moment within the practice where you're like, wait a second, I don't have to do this pose if I'm exhausted. I don't have to finish this class if I'm exhausted. And and it's sort of, um, it happens very organically, but I think there's enough within the practice of yoga to keep you um, inspired or motivated that it, it's sort of a natural process. And I do actually see early on quite a bit of gratification just by way of maybe different language that teachers offer or some of the breathing does does click for people right away. And I think particularly now um, with the ramping up of anxiety and stress, people are, there's a quickening happening where people are more receptive and responsive immediately to this alternative, this more gentle alternative. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but... No, I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It is, uh, you know, even if you go just for that initial, like the exercise component, which most people will kind of, you know, really just at the onset, they'll see yoga as just that, but you can't really help but then delve into the more deeper aspects, the more deeper rewards that it has to offer. And I think that's true with just a healthy lifestyle in general. Kind of once you really set yourself on that path, you see the rewards and it's something that, you know, you really just almost intensify your commitment to because you just really understand what it has to offer, you know? Yeah. And it's also, um, you know, if we recognize how often in this day and age we feel uncomfortable and how much 
that can affect us negatively than a practice where we regularly put ourselves into maybe more of an uncomfortable situation we can see the the benefit of that like the ability to be uncomfortable without kind of shutting down or giving up to kind of stand right there in the discomfort and notice that you know it's not going to kill you it's not going to conquer you it's just this ability a lot of the time we talk about stillness just to not react to not necessarily do anything there but to still be able to hold hold yourself up or hold space within that discomfort we talk about that in in coaching a lot too just to get comfortable with discomfort that way you're more uh you're more able to move through the world with less um kind of getting stuck Mm. yeah And, you know, you're a a big advocate of yoga, and obviously there's the physical benefit that most people uh, hone in on right away. But then there's the, uh, you know, spiritual and kind of mental health uh, impact as well. Are you an advocate of uh, a full picture of wellness? Like, do you think diet is a big thing, too? Do you really focus on all these aspects of – because it is a a big picture, a lot of moving parts. And I'm wondering kind of how you sort of vision piecing all those things together sleep as well you know one of those oh things diet goodness. sleep so many different variables that we have to try to manipulate because we know that we can feel our best and be our best in the world when those things are under control it's not easy absolutely being kind of in alignment and um i think as far as yoga and meditation go what happens is we um to know yourself to be sort of a detective like you know what some people like the the paleo some people like to be a vegan and you know i've sort of tried all of these things and i wouldn't i wouldn't call myself anything in particular with regard to food and i i really advocate for balance for allowing yourself to enjoy food to indulge but to know kind of your limits like where where things become excessive or where you're using you know your food or any other habit as sort of a a crutch or a place of hiding out so yeah it's and it's a it's a work in progress I think you know you can get your diet on track and then you find yourself maybe losing sleep because you're you're busy and you're chasing that goal which is not a bad thing but how do you how do you bring it back so that you're kind of recharging in a way that allows you to keep going with your best your best energy, your best self, your best face. Yeah, you mentioned that term uh, at the top there, alignment, and just really, you know, with all those factors that are within your control, your diet, your exercise routine, your meditation practice, and, you know, start striving for that sense of alignment where you're just able to function at your best. Are you able to kind of, with how deep you've gone into the yoga and everything about the lifestyle you live, have you been able to really succeed in achieving that alignment because I know with my own personal story it's a lot of ebb and flow I'm sure that's just a human reality but mm-hmm. wondering what it's like for you um, definitely there's still an ebb and flow one of my one of my favorite teachers who I really look up to he even says you would you would call him a, a master and he says he's about 17% there so it's it's definitely like a human mm-hmm. uh, issue now there are certain things that I think maybe the best way to talk about this is when you want to 
when you want to change a habit, you've got to replace it with another one. And so you've got to sort of start to surround yourself with those things that you know work. And it, it is trial and error, but after a while, you're sort of like, okay, these are my non-negotiables. A few of mine are daily meditation and as best I can getting a good night's sleep. Now, these are just really simple things, but these are things that no matter what's going on, I'm prioritizing. Um, but also enjoyment, you know, like I love coffee. And so I allow myself a couple, couple coffees a day. And it's just, it's just that balance of, you know, coffee amps you up, meditation brings you down. How do you find the middle? Yeah, no, no doubt. I think we're all kind of really on a process of finding that, you know, space, but a lot of the time life will kind of just put stuff on our plate and it's really tough. You know, sometimes we're things are out of our control and we're in a low and, you know, you really have to, I don't know, what's your perspective on that kind of how to stay strong in those periods where, you know, you really just have a wave of tough stuff that life is throwing at you. And maybe yeah. sometimes like I have a friend, she just, uh, you know, broke her ankle and she's big into the fitness and obviously, you know, exercise is like a medicine for her and just her vibrationally, you know, you talk to her, you can just sense that she's very much, you know, down and feeling low and you just, you know, you got, you want to just, you know, pray for her, so to speak, and, and just yeah. hope that she can stay strong through this wave of negativity. You know, I like that question because one of my, and I've, I've learned it through similar experience, one of my favorite teachings, and I'm kind of really on this right now in my classes, is that most of our suffering comes from not so much what's happening to us, but what we think about what's happening to us. So the dialogue that we kind of hook into about what's going on. And so if you're in this mental state of, oh, I wish it wasn't like this, I wish it was like this, and this isn't fair, and why is this happening to me? You you kind of lock yourself in there, and you may be prolonging what's going on. There's a saying that what we resist persists, and I love this because it's like the present moment, whatever is going on, whatever the condition or the circumstance it already is how it is. So your resistance truly is futile. It's a waste of your energy. So the second you can make peace with it or make friends with it doesn't mean that you, you're totally like joyful about it, but you're like, okay, this is where I'm at now. How can I make the best of it? How am I showing up here? What version of me am I kind of feeding within this space? And it's the idea that everything that happens to us I love this one too. I'm full of things. Uh, everything that happens to us is actually happening for us, not to us. So it's like, what's the lesson there? And oftentimes when we argue with what the present moment presents, we, we miss the message. We miss the teaching. And so the second or the sooner, I should say, that you, you can allow it to be as it is, to accept it, then things start to open up. It's like you're able to adapt. When we resist, it's more of like you create a logjam. And that, as you mentioned, energy or vibration becomes kind of stagnant and you can't do much. You have this energy, but it's very unresourceful in the moment that you're like, okay, this is how things are. And how can I maybe look at this differently? Am I even willing to look at this differently? And then you know, that's not only is that going to probably open something within the physical realm, but also within the, the spiritual. This is an opportunity for you to go, 
delve deeper into your psyche, perhaps. And a writer called uh, Joe Dispenza, and he talks a lot about, he has a book that's called You Are the Placebo. And it's all about um, our headspace and the quality of our thoughts affecting the actual physical body and, and level of health that we can attain. Um, he came back from a very serious injury by way of pretty much a meditative process of changing his vibration by changing his thoughts. So pretty inspiring stuff, pretty powerful stuff. Um, and it really starts with what what are you entertaining internally or what are you cultivating internally? And do you find being able to control your mindset, what you're focused on, is your ability to do that a product of your meditation practice? Do you really think that that's you know, largely responsible for one's ability to, you know, manage their mindset and stay in that space that's going to be productive and conducive of, you know, a, a, a happier life. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite um, ideas is that where the attention goes, the energy flows. And I always add on at the end of that, wherever the energy flows, something grows, you're creating something. And so, um, to be able to basically the premise in meditation is that you're able to take your attention, your awareness out of mental process, which tends to be very uh, automatic. It's unconscious. It just kind of runs on its own. So as we build up that skill of being able to step out of the automatic thoughts, we recognize more choice within sort of where our, our energy is going. And this is what, this is sort of the idea of manifesting. And, you know, my own practice with meditation, it's, you know, I use this analogy that, you know, when I need to work, I need to go to the office. I can't be at home when I'm trying to get work done because it's just not the right environment. And I think the same is true for meditation. And that's why I've kind of gravitated towards, you know, flotation and sensory deprivation Mm. tanks. Because for me, that's almost like the meditation office. And there I'm able to, you know, really hunker down and do that work that needs to be done. And I suppose with time, maybe I'll be able to strengthen my practice where I don't need to you know be in a uh, this uh, environment i could do it in another context but i'm wondering kind of what your experience maybe what your thoughts are on the flotation tanks because they seem to be uh, rising in popularity as you can probably tell i really like these little analogies and plays on words i find it just helps helps to stick in the head sort of these different ideas um with regard to the the tanks i've only done it a couple of times and um What I appreciate about it is that it's a reminder for me that not everybody takes the same path to this kind of inner space, that there are so many different ways to get there. I know um, I listen to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast a lot, and a lot of the MMA guys talk about float tanks and finding their meditation there. Um, For me, it, it hasn't been the path, and I actually heard someone Uh, describe it as like the kind of lazy man's meditation or whatever you want to call it. Now I want to take away the negativity from that, uh, that way of, of naming it because I think, and I talk about this in yoga a lot of the time too, is that we are using whatever means possible to develop a relationship with uh, a feeling of what we call in, in the yogic tradition, pure awareness or pure consciousness so that particularly in a float tank, that deprivation of all of the uh, external sensory input is a quick way there. But 
I mean, why not in this day and age? I hear a lot about also uh, Dave Asprey's podcast is another one that I like. Uh, he talks about neurofeedback. And so it's sort of this, do, do you know what it is? Neurofeedback? Yeah. No, I don't think I'm familiar with that concept. So I don't know exactly how it works, but basically you would be, say, going through a guided meditation and... As, as I mentioned before, the goal in meditation is to kind of remove your awareness from any mental process. So you get to this place of neutral mind. In neurofeedback, there will be an indicator of some sort to let you know when you actually arrive there. So it's sort of like this positive reinforcement that every time you get to this place of neutral mind, you get like a like a prize of some sort or something to, to let you know you're you're doing it right. Um, and so similar with the float tank that it's sort of a quick way there and the more you get there the more you sort of build up this memory of what it feels like and eventually you don't need maybe like you said eventually you don't need the tank you just remember the feeling of being in that place of kind of inner spaciousness or neutrality and you can almost call it up on command one of my teachers always always talks about that being able to be walking down the street, not even sitting in meditation and, and just decide, okay, I'm going to go neutral for a second. It's like plugging back into your power source. So that's my long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, these are great long-winded answers. And, you know, you, I like that that concept you brought up of, you know, lazy man's meditation because I know some people, certainly not myself, who maybe explored like the plant medicine path as a way to access spiritual fulfillment and awareness. But again, maybe that is kind of an easy pass to access that profound state. And maybe we should challenge ourselves to not use these tools that make it easier but rather challenge ourselves in a more raw format such as a yoga or just your you know your solo meditation practice i'm wondering what you think in Mm -hmm. terms of that maybe equating the lazy man's meditation of the float tank to people who experiment with the plant medicine pathway who feel called to go on that yeah um i've definitely had this debate this conversation many times and I certainly I've I've not gone down that path myself but I'll admit that when I was in my early 20s I I was experimenting with other things and certainly there was an aspect of expanding my consciousness that I can actually draw a pretty direct connection to um just my awareness of the potential of the mind to create and to also um, debilitate that I think came from those early years of experimentation. So I, I wouldn't take anything away from it. I do think that it's become a bit of a trend and, and I don't think it's absolutely necessary. But what popped into my head is that kind of the same way with the floating, there might be people who, if there isn't a lazy man's way, won't, won't try it at all ever. So um it's kind of like hot yoga right like it's really trendy and it gets people in the door who wouldn't just take up a meditation practice right away so it's a sort of a progression it it opens the mind or it opens a different kind of pathway to something and and i think people as the awareness grows start to recognize that their own power and their own potential uh could also be further developed so i think ultimately it's it's a good thing now with the plant medicine obviously (laughs) i've heard some horror stories so you want to make sure you're you're dealing with someone who really upholds the tradition and knows knows what they're talking about but 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah especially yeah. if you're relying on somebody to facilitate that experience. Yeah, you definitely want to find the right situation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how you said something there that sparked something in my mind. I hope that thought's not gone. It's okay. So it'll come back. It'll come back, no doubt. Um, and you know, you have a podcast now, and I've listened to a few episodes, and I I really think it's cool that you're exploring that format. Because again, if you have a message Ooh. and you feel called, you feel compelled to help people, I think podcasting is a great way to connect. And I'm wondering, kind of, what your thoughts have been in deciding to explore that medium as a way to connect with people. Um, for me, number one, I love listening to podcasts. I came upon them probably six years ago. A friend of mine turned me on to them and, uh, I was just floored at the wealth of information that you can, you can access for free. And a lot of the time it's just, you know, somebody on their podcast mentions a teacher that they studied with or a book that they read or a practice. And, and it's sort of like this spider web of all these different um, potential ways of, of just growing yourself and, and so I've always been very inspired by podcasts and podcasters um, personally when I when I teach yoga one of the one of the criticisms that I can get sometimes is that I talk a lot in my classes but usually what happens over time is that these same students that know that I talk a lot start to thank me for what I'm talking about as they start to actually listen um, because I think what I'm, for the most part, doing is just sharing information and ideas that have really clicked for me. Um, I like words. I like writing. And so I think that um, people like like to listen to what I have to say. People say I have a good, uh, a good yoga voice. So it just, it just sort of came, came to me one day. It wasn't that long ago that I did the first episode, maybe a couple months ago. And, uh, I just thought, well, I'll just hit record and start riffing and see what happens. And I was really amazed at the feedback that I got, just short podcasts for now. Um, but just to be able to share to share that information, some of the ideas that I would share in a yoga class, but now on a platform where you don't even necessarily have to take a yoga class to be able to integrate these ideas and to be able to... Um, benefit so it's it's very rewarding especially um not to say that i'm moving away from teaching yoga but i am recognizing all of the different avenues to kind of get to the same place of this inner um you know you could say wholeness or or peace however you want to put it that there's it's not just the yogic path that uh gets you there and do you feel like your calling is to affect a as many people as possible? Is that kind of something you see? Do you want? Are you content to really, uh, you know, voice your message from the you know hot yoga room at Pure Yoga in Ottawa, or do you have a a calling? Do you have some kind of vision of doing it on a larger and larger scale? Yeah, if I'm honest, I, I do have a vision of of going beyond that. Um, I've always said that. I'll write a book, if not more than one. I have a blog as well that is pretty well uh, well read. And I don't know exactly what it looks like, but yeah, for a long time I've, I've definitely felt like I have a message. Um, 
I'm inspired by people like Gabby Bernstein and Marianne Williamson, these women who have gone through their own, I went through a, a pretty, pretty dark time in my life. And I feel that coming through to the other side, because I've definitely seen people who haven't made it through or are still in that place. It's our responsibility. If we find a way to the light to share that it's an act of service this is big in in the yogic philosophy and finding your voice finding your way to do that and probably one of my biggest challenges is this idea of um kind of like our fear of greatness we're not so much afraid that that we'll fail but we're afraid of what happens if we fully actualize that dream like sort of who am I to be on a stage talking about these things or who am I to be writing a book but who am I not to be you know well and that's going to involve a you know to really reach for that larger platform and to be able to have that greater impact it's going to involve a pretty intense dedication and again that's one of those things where it's tough to reconcile the intense effort and devotion and you know almost a business mindset if you really do want to you know let's say promote a book or you know take the podcast to a a super high level and I guess it's tough to reconcile that sort of again that rat race energy with the you know well-balanced and inward and gentle uh, aspect of your soul as well. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very tricky process and I'm, I'm definitely more, I suppose, on the, the whimsical side of uh, whatever will be, will be and just let things unfold. But as, as my maybe popularity is growing or um, my sense of responsibility to get my message out is, uh, increasing, I, I am recognizing the more kind of logistical side of things and um, needing, you know, I said the other day, I said, I wish I had an assistant and I'm not nearly at that level that things are crazy, but there's a lot to attend to, even just having an Instagram account and keeping up with it and, and sort of following up with everything involved there. Um, it's a full, full-time job. And I think um, to to bring, I actually had a dream about this last night now that I'm talking about it. Um, we can't separate our spirituality from anything that we do. One of my teachers often says that our, our spiritual selves don't kind of split off from our social selves or our political selves, that we have to bring that level of consciousness and awareness into everything that we do and that idea of sort of being aligned with um, your vision or your desire your message and carrying it through in a way that's uh, that's grounded in the message and not so much not so much the outcome but recognizing that in order to really honor the message that there is another side of things to be attended to. Hey, what might be one quick bit of advice you have for, let's say, a student here at the college I go to who is, 
you know, really recognizing that their life is far too much on the side of, you know, intense working, over-caffeinated. What might be mm. a, a bit of advice, a quick bit of advice you would have for them to find a way to kind of balance off and inhabit a more, you know, productive, a more uh, enduring mindset where they can actually enjoy this path that they're walking in life? Mm-hmm. Um, a few things. One, if if there's not already... A yoga practice this is certainly a beautiful point of entry into a more kind of forgiving space I think sometimes people feel like it's daunting to walk into that yoga studio for the first time but I've witnessed it so many times that they finished that class and a whole new world just appeared to them so if that's not already been been explored that would be sort of like the first thing I would say because it's so accessible now it's it's everywhere um, if you're already there, but you're finding a desire for more, start a meditation practice. It's, it's such a simple thing, even if you can sneak in, say, two minutes every day. Um, I know there are a few really great apps, like there's this Headspace app, and there's um, there's one I think it's called Calm now. You can do it that way, but you can also just sit down, observe your breath, two minutes, three minutes and make that a regular part of your day. Not even so much as, you know, not, not with the expectation that all of a sudden your world changes, but just like building a muscle, building this muscle of just pausing, just non-doing, slowing down, relaxing your body, non-efforting and building that in more and more. You're, you're more, and you're more and more aware of, the benefit of it and it's subtle but it's really really potent so i mean there's there's a lot of different um resources out there i think if you want to teach yourself to meditate or you want to use an app um that would be the second one and i think one more thing that might kind of come out of left field but something that's really worked well for me in my life is take a walk put your phone away don't even bring it with you and take a walk and what they call it is uh, Buddha walking. So you're walking at a pace that you can imagine you have like a really elderly dog and it's very slow moving and it wants to smell everything. So you have no destination. And you know, better if you're close to nature, you're amongst trees and you're just witnessing. You're just slowing down, you're practicing this slowing down and what that can really start to do is sort of recalibrate the nervous system it's one of the best 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 uh stress reducing activities that i've ever come across of all my training and all of my uh my reading and my studying slow walking buddha walking Mm. Yeah, something yeah. as simple as, as just yeah, going for a walk and taking a pause, I guess, can really go a long way to find a way to, you know, find a good balance and just be able to achieve uh, a more functional mindset. Because I think a lot of people get whipped up into this frenzy and they kind of lose track with, you know, just a sensible way to carry themselves and find a way to <laughs> do what they're doing in life, but do it in a way where they're enjoying this process and observing and actually soaking in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being being still and, you know, maybe you're still moving about the world, but being able to access that place of 
um, you know, what they call the witness. A kind of a cool practice is just to go for a walk and notice all of the internal dialogue that you'll come up with, all the labels that you'll come up with, and trying to observe without labeling is sort of another way of giving yourself a little bit of uh, breathing room (laughs) moment to moment. Mm. I'm speaking with Jessica Magnan, yoga and meditation teacher and life coach, uh, living up in Ottawa, working at Pure Yoga, and you have your own podcast. Where can our listeners find find your podcast? Yeah, it's called the Magnanimous Warrior Podcast. Um, so it's on iTunes, and it, it comes through Podbean, so I guess you can access it there as well. Um, on my website, which is jmag.life, J-M-A-G, Dot life. Uh, my most recent podcast is there, and my intention is to have them accessible there too. So if you don't have a platform that you go through, and there's um, my blog is there as well, and any information if you want to contact me about coaching, that sort of thing. So it's all there, jmag.life. And uh, I know you have a pretty good Instagram page where you're really regularly posting just useful tips and good information for anybody living in Ottawa. Uh, where can we find your Instagram? jmeg6 at jmeg6. jmeg6, yeah. Okay, great. Lots of little uh, one-minute videos, little kind of tips and ideas to take through the day. And your blog, where can we get that? Uh, my blog is on WordPress, and all... Everything recent, everything in the last year or so is also on my website at jmag.life. It's all there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's great. I I like how you're really on a lot of different platforms and uh, really appreciate you calling in today. I always, uh, you know, a big fan of our conversations. You didn't disappoint Mm -hmm. once again. I'm going to, I think, live a very enlightened day. (laughs) Oh, good. Keep it going. And uh, I'd love to talk to you again soon, Jess. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much.